Now, I want you all to try and think back maybe about a month or so ago, we were reading about King David, and we read a story in, um, in 2 Samuel. It was when uh, David uh, had just become king. He had defeated uh, his enemies. He had brought the um, ark into Jerusalem, and he was kind of looking around for things to do. And if you'll recall, one of the things he decided he wanted to do was build a temple for God. And he tells the prophet Nathan about this, and Nathan thinks it's a really good idea. And then uh, Nathan goes home and he has a dream. And in the dream, God speaks to David through the prophet Nathan. And he says, you are not the one to build this house for me. Your son Solomon will build this house. And then God makes a promise to David that he will establish his throne forever and that his sons will rule on the throne forever. Now, this promise is called the Davidic covenant because this is a ironclad promise that God made to David that a king would sit on the throne of Israel and Jerusalem forever. There will always be someone from the line of David. And this is a promise that brought the Israelites hope uh, throughout all of their time. It was a promise of peace and stability. It was a promise that, that God's favor would always be on them. It was a promise that they uh, would never... Um, uh, be overtaken by their enemies because God would always bless the house of David. And God would always have his chosen servant established on the throne. Well, then something happened some 300, 400 years later. It was this thing called the Babylonian exile where the Babylonians took over Jerusalem they killed the last of the uh, Davidic kings. And then they led the Hebrew people to Babylon in chains. And it looked like that covenant had been broken. It looked like, like, like a descendant of David was no longer on the throne and that that peace, that, that promise of peace and stability had been broken. Now, during the exile, there were, these, uh, there, there were these prophets like Daniel and Ezekiel and Isaiah, and they had these visions telling them that, that the, promise, uh, the promise wasn't broken, that God was going to honor his promise, that, that, that this was only a season, and then uh, the, uh, the, the kingship would be reestablished. A descendant of David would be put back on the throne and he would again rule that house forever and ever. And so the Jewish people began to believe in this promise and look toward the day when the king would come back and sit on his throne. And they had a word for this king, this word that means anointed one the Messiah. They began to 
think about and dream about and pray about this time when the Messiah would come back and sit on his throne and rule over Jerusalem and all that God had promised would be fulfilled. And so, flash forward about some 200, 300 years later, the people are still waiting for this Messiah, for this, for this promise to be realized. And it all comes down to this little teenage girl from a town called Nazareth. So that's the scripture reading we're going to read this morning. It's, uh, it's Luke, the first chapter, verses 26 through 38. Hear now the word of our Lord. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. You will be with child and will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. This is the word of God. May it find its way to our hearts and lives this morning by the power of his Holy Spirit. Amen. So it all comes down, this little teenage girl named Mary, from a town no one has ever heard of. There is no prophecy in the Old Testament that says the Messiah is going to come from Nazareth. And in fact, there is no mention in the Old Testament of a town called Nazareth. Not because it didn't exist. Archaeological evidence says Nazareth has been around since the, the Neolithic age. But it's because nothing important or worth writing down had ever happened in Nazareth. For the, for the thousand year history that the Old Testament covers, nothing of any import happened in Nazareth. Nazareth was a small town nobody had ever heard of. The uh, Roman historian of the Jewish people, Josephus, who lived around the time that Jesus lived, 
He mentions 50 cities in the region of Galilee. Not one of them is Nazareth. It's a town that is not even on the map. So our scripture reading opens with a with the telling line. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee. The people reading Luke's gospel had to be told where Nazareth is. There's no one had ever heard of this place. It's this small little village uh, whose population was half the size of Ryanair, Virginia. About four, maybe 500 people. No one had ever heard of Nazareth. Uh, in the Gospel of John, when, uh, when the disciples come to a man named, uh, named Nathaniel, and they say, we've met the Messiah. Uh, he's, he's this rabbi. His name is Jesus. He's from Nazareth. Nathaniel's first reaction is, Nazareth? Can anything good come from Nazareth? Nobody is expecting the Messiah to be born in Nazareth. Nazareth is the butt of jokes. It's a small town. It's the, it's the kind of town where uh, the, the entering Nazareth sign and the now leaving Nazareth sign are on the same post. Right? It's the, it's the kind of town where the phone book is one page. It's a small town where nothing important has ever happened until one day an angel shows up with good news. This thing you and your people have, have been longing for, hoping for, dreaming of all of these years, it's coming to pass. And it's coming to pass right here in Nazareth. Greetings, you who are highly favored. You are the one, the angel says to Mary, that this is all going to happen through. Mary. So nobody from Nazareth. Now, it's hard for us. We think of Mary and just like 2,000 years of religious art just all crammed into our head, and we can't help it. We think of Mary, and she's got the, the, blue, the blue tunic and the, the white shawl, and she's just got this, uh, this, this lily-white skin and this, 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 this um, serene expression the perfect paragon of maternal love as she, as she gazes at her baby. And we, you know, even though we Protestants don't, don't venerate uh, Mary the way maybe our Catholic brothers and sisters do, we certainly have her up on a pedestal, the Virgin Mary. But before she was the Virgin Mary, she was just Miriam from Nazareth a nobody from nowhere. And she says as much. She says, how can this be since I am just a Parthenos? And Parthenos is this Greek word that's, that's translated as virgin, but, but it means um, 
more than just that. It means young girl. It's this, this, uh, this age space between being a married woman and being a child. And purity was, was highly implied in that, in that traditional time and place. So Mary is saying two things. How can this be because I'm a virgin, but also how can this be I'm just this teenage girl? I'm just this nobody from nowhere. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Have you ever felt like a nobody from nowhere? Like how could God possibly use you? How could God possibly fulfill his promise in this bearded guy from eastern Kentucky? How could God possibly fulfill his promise through some nobody from Ryanair, Virginia? Do we ever feel like, as a church, we're nobodies from nowhere? We hear about all these quote-unquote big churches doing big things, and we just kind of think, oh, we're just a small church. We're just a bunch of nobodies from nowhere. The kingdom of God is not like baseball. There are not little league teams and minor league teams and major league teams. We're all on the same team. And if we're part of the church, we're somebody from somewhere. We're part of the kingdom of God, and he has a job for us to do. But so many times we, we carry this, this, this kind of baggage with us. Oh, we're nobody from nowhere. Maybe you think back to your, your family situation, your roots, and there's kind of dysfunction there. Some things you'd rather forget there. And you think, Nazareth, how can anything good come from Nazareth. I'm just from a bunch of nobodies from nowhere. And yet, and yet, God chooses Mary. And it's not because she's uh, like, like sitting on prime real estate, right? The, 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 the Messiah is supposed to be born in Bethlehem. And God's going to get her to Bethlehem, but, but he just picks seemingly at random this one teenage girl in a place nobody has ever heard of. Why do you think? I think when we look at the passage, we see that Mary has, has this one quality that God requires of anyone who he's going to use. She has this amazing ability to say yes. That's all God requires to use us, is that we say yes. See, Mary, think of all that she's got to be juggling in her head. Think of all that this news must mean. Think of, uh, you know, she suddenly turns up 
with child. She's suddenly showing that she's pregnant. That's, that's hard for teenagers, you know, at Auburn High School in 2018. Imagine, imagine what it's like in that little village of Nazareth 2,000 years ago. That small, traditional town to suddenly, out of nowhere, be with child. She's got to be worrying about, about whether her, hus- her, her soon-to-be husband, Joseph, is, is going to call off the marriage and want to be with her. She's got to be worrying about, uh, are her parents going to turn her out? She's got to be worrying about, I'm going to have to deliver this baby. She's got to be worrying about all of those things. But her response is, I am the Lord's servant. Let it be to me as you have said. What if that were our posture this Advent season? That posture of obedience, that posture of saying yes, I am the Lord's servant. Let it be to me as you have said. What if as a church that were our posture? If, if, when, when God comes to us with this, this crazy vision, this, this, this crazy thing he wants to do here in Ryanair, Virginia, what if instead of asking, how is that possible? How can we do this? We're just nobodies. What if we said, we are the Lord's servant? Let it be as you have said. What if in our lives, instead of always saying no and occasionally saying yes, what if we always said yes to God and occasionally said yes again? <laughs> always supposed to say yes to God. When we become the Lord's servant, we're no longer nobodies from nowhere. We're somebody from somewhere because we're a servant of the Lord. We carry his name with us wherever we go. Anyone ever heard of uh, Agnes Bohaksu? Anybody Agnes Bohaksu fans? Um, she was born in a place called Skopje in, um, in Albania. Anyone heard of Skopje? Been to Skopje? Read about Skopje? Right, she's a nobody from nowhere. Agnes Bohaksu, right? Um, uh, but um, Agnes, uh, when uh, she was born, she was born to two parents. Um, early on, um, her father died. And so she grew very close to her mother. And she wrote about um, how her mother would uh, always uh, invite people into her home. Uh, people had nowhere else to go, and she would serve a meal. And she said she remembered, you know, dinner time, there'd be all these people around the table, and she'd ask her mother, who are these people? And her mother would say, well, um, some of these people we are related to, they're all our family. And that was just something that was always in the back of Agnes' head all the time. Well, um, Agnes Bohaksu, uh, when she was 12 years old, she 
felt called to dedicate her life to the Lord. And at that time, in that little uh, 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 Catholic town in Albania, that meant becoming a nun. And so that's exactly what she did. Um, she became a nun. Uh, she became a noviate. A noviate is like a nun in training. And uh, they send her to Dublin and have her learn all of these languages because she's apparently an intelligent young woman. And so she's learning all of these languages and, she's, uh, and they're going to have her be a teacher. And she's going to teach English to, uh, to, um, to places all over the world. So the first place they send her um, is India. And when Agnes is in India, uh, she uh, starts out as a school teacher teaching kids English in India. And the way she describes it is she just sort of fell in love with India. Um, but there was this one thing that really bothered her. Uh, when she would go from her home to the school, she would see all of this poverty all around her. And at that time, especially in India, they had a very strict class system. And the poorest of the poor were called the untouchables. And uh, if you were upper class, you weren't even supposed to acknowledge them. They were supposed to be invisible, untouchable to you. And this broke Agnes' heart to see all these people begging on the side of the road, uh, lepers and orphans just being ignored by their society. And the way she describes it, she had this uh, call within a call. She was uh, on a train on the way from India to the Himalaya mountains, and she felt Christ speak to her. And she felt Jesus saying to her, I don't want you to be a teacher. I want you to serve the poorest of the poor in India. And so since um, Agnes uh, had taken this vow of obedience. She had to get special permission from the church to do this. And they gave her permission. And so Agnes founded uh, this, uh, this orphanage called the Sisters of Mercy in Calcutta. Now, most of us don't know Agnes Bohaksu, but when she became a nun, she, uh, she took on another name uh, after her favorite saint, St. Teresa of Avila. And I guarantee everyone in here has heard of Mother Teresa, right? Because for, for, after she said yes to Jesus, for some 60 years she served the, the poor and the downtrodden in Calcutta at the Sisters of Mercy. <clears throat> And because of her, there are Sisters of Mercy uh, orphanages all around the world, some uh, 6,500 missionaries because of the work that she did. Countless thousands, maybe millions of lives have been touched because of the work that she did. But before she was Mother Teresa, she was a nobody from nowhere who heard the voice of God and just said, yes. I am the Lord's servant. Let it be as you have said. I love what she wrote towards the end of her life. Mother Teresa said, As for my blood, I am Albanian. As for my nationality, 
I am Indian. As for my, relation, my, my religion, I'm a Catholic nun. As for my calling, I belong to the world. As for my heart, my heart belongs to the heart of Jesus. What would our lives look like if our hearts belonged to the heart of Jesus? What would our lives look like the next time we get that inkling of a crazy vision from God, if we said, I don't know how, I don't know why, I don't know what, but I am the Lord's servant. Let it be to me as you have said. So in a few moments, we're going to take communion. And um, I love the communion liturgy. I don't know if you can tell. I just love this communion liturgy. And one of the things we do before we take communion is we have this time of confession. And we confess our sins for, before God. And there's this prayer we pray together called the prayer of confession. And at the very end of it, there's this line I just love. It says this, forgive us, we pray. Free us for joyful obedience. That's my prayer this morning that we would be joyfully obedient. Not obedient because it's in the Bible and we have to do it. Not obedient because the pastor asked me and I have to do it. Not obedient because I've gone to this church for years and I just have to do it. But joyfully obedient. Joyfully looking up at the sky and saying, I am the Lord's servant. I was a nobody from nowhere, but now I am the Lord's servant. Let it be to me as you have said. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.